Here's the situation, folks. It's week one of college football. We've got five straight days of football ahead of us on this Labor Day weekend, and we're going to attempt to break it all down in this one episode and give you everything you need to know about the next five days of college football. For those of you who are new, this is the Student Section Podcast. My name is Dylan Brett. This is where we talk all things college football. This is episode number 23. Today is Thursday, August 31st, 2023. We're dropping this one a day early. We usually drop every Friday, but we obviously have a big Thursday night game to talk about tonight between Utah and Florida. You can find us on Instagram at the CFB section and on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, at that very same tag at the CFB section. Subscribe to the show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all your favorite platforms. And remember to download and rate the show as well. For those of you who don't know exactly how the structure of these looks, we have our student section game of the week, which we spend the most time on at the beginning. Then we've got about four or five other games we'd like to talk about for the week. In this case, I actually have about five or six. We then jump into our predictions, best bets of the week, stories of the week, and we close it out with some picks. So without further ado, as I said, we have an absolute monstrous amount of football to talk about in this episode. Not going to waste too much time. We're going to jump right into the episode with our student section game of the week. Let's do it and enjoy the episode. very first student section game of the week of the year is on Sunday night in Orlando, Florida camping world stadium. Of course, I'm talking about number five LSU against number eight, Florida state. That's seven 30 Sunday night, ABC right now, Vegas has LSU at two and a half point favorites and the over under sitting at 56 and a half. I've, I've talked on record about how much I love these early season top 10 top 15 matchups that get scheduled because with the new four team format or I shouldn't call it the new four team format but with the four team playoff format you could very easily see your season either derailed or you could see your stock ascend to the moon in one week there's so much pressure on you to perform out of the gate Against a team, you have no idea what they're going to be like because they've got a brand new roster, especially in this case. Both these teams have been revamped quite a bit. And that cataclysmic um, amount of pressure on both of these teams to be absolutely perfect on this night is what makes this game so gosh darn entertaining and so exciting. The buildup has been awesome for this one. There's obviously been um, some controversy, which we're going to talk about. There's been a lot of hype around it. There's been a lot of guys in this game. People are predicting to go on to win the Heisman. These are two teams that everyone has or some people have in their playoff predictions. So the stakes are pretty self-explanatory for this one. It's number five, number eight in the country and a game where you could essentially end the other team season before it even starts, because chances are, if you start out 0-1 with an out-of-conference loss, you've pretty much got to run the table the rest of the way to make the college football playoff, barring some cataclysmic circumstances. Obviously. We've never had a two loss team make the playoff. But before we jump into the preview of the game itself, let's talk about where these teams were last year. LSU was obviously 10 and four. They win the SEC West and then lose the SEC championship 
to an absolute juggernaut in Georgia. Then they win the Citrus Bowl in a 63-7 ass-whooping over Purdue. That game was fun to watch if you were an LSU fan. But Florida State, similar spot, 10-3. Did not appear in the ACC Championship, but won the Cheez-It Bowl over a much more credible opponent in Oklahoma. They win that one 35-32. And if you remember, these two teams played last year. Oh, week one blocked field goal or blocked extra point, I should say, secured a 24-23 victory for the Seminoles in a game that ultimately played a huge factor in LSU's playoff chase. Because obviously, if they win that game against Florida State and they go into that SEC championship game against Georgia, there's a lot less pressure on them to win that game, if any at all. So... The stakes for this one, like I said, very self-explanatory and last season's circumstances only reaffirm that notion further. So let's talk about the LSU side of things first. Obviously, these are two teams that are very similar. They rode the offseason hype train after really solid bounce back seasons with relatively new coaches to that college football elite status level where they're now getting predicted to make the college football playoffs. But why is LSU there? Well, it's because of their offense. LSU has a dynamic quarterback in Jaden Daniels, which we're going to talk about. They have a real three-headed monster in the running game, which we're going to talk about as well. Josh Williams, Noah Kane, Logan Diggs. They have Malik Neighbors, an All-American wide receiver, first-team All-SEC talent. And then the defensive front is also really, really, really solid as well. And what makes this defense, and really Florida State's defense as well, so scary is the level of experience that they're bringing back. You've got guys like Harold Perkins with another year under their belt. Omar Spates is an experienced transfer in at the linebacker spot. He's going to make noise immediately. Guys like Mason Smith, Makai Wingo. The only place this SEC or SEC LSU team is kind of lacking is in the secondary. And I'm looking at guys like Alexander who are going to have to step up, especially in a game against Florida State's loaded wide receiver room with some really big targets out there that can create mismatches. But LSU top to bottom is without a doubt a top five to 10 team in the country and their medal is going to be tested immediately. So let's talk about what they can do to win this football game, how I see them beating Florida State. And the answer is very simply just pounding the rock, setting up Jalen Daniels to or Jaden Daniels to run the football, exposing what cost Florida State in their three losses last year, which was that defensive front containing the run game. You look at the numbers here, they gave up 161 yards per game on the ground. That's 75th in the nation. Gave up four yards a clip, that's 50th. And 40 rushes per game, that's 110th in the country. Teams are running the ball 40 to 41 times a game against this Florida State team. 57% of the plays that were run against them War rushes again, that's 118th in the country. It's clear what the game plan is against this Florida State team, and they just did not have an answer for it against the Clemsons of the world in their biggest games last year. And obviously, LSU, that's something that plays right into their strengths. 180 rush yards per game for them last year, that's top 40 in the country. And Jaden Daniels is at the forefront of that 885 yards, 11 scores. Right about five yards of carry last season and four and a half after contact. And then, as I said, they've got that three-headed monster in the backfield. All three of Josh Williams, Noah Kane, 
and Logan Diggs averaged five yards per carry or better last season. So it's going to be very clear what LSU is going to try and do early on. And if you're Florida State trying to win this game, your contain is going to have to be absolutely paramount. Guys like the nose tackles up front, Fabian Lovett, are going to be X factors in this game. And guys like Jared Verse and Patrick Payton are going to be tested in more ways than just the pass rush. They're going to have to be versatile. They're going to have to demonstrate their ability to contain in order to slow down this LSU running game. What that running attack also has done, and you saw it time and time again last year, is really, really open things up for their play action. This LSU squad, 11.5 yards per catch last season up and down the roster. But on play action, here's where it gets interesting. Completing 65% of their passes, 550 yards, four touchdowns. Malik Neighbors had 14 and a half yards per catch in those situations. He's obviously going to be the main attraction on this offense. And you're going to have to try and balance stopping the run with containing him out wide. You're not going to be able to sell out if you want to stop this LSU team on the ground. And that brings us to now talking about how Florida State could potentially win this football game. And as we've already alluded to, this defensive front is going to have to show us something that they haven't shown us before. I don't see a universe where LSU loses this game while still rushing for five yards a carry like they've done for about 90% of last year. As I mentioned, guys like Fabian Lovett, Jared Verse, Patrick Payton, those guys are going to have, have to have absolutely stellar games up the middle and on the outside in contain. How else can Florida State win this football game? To me, I look at the offense and I look at exploiting matchups. This LSU secondary is a very, very young secondary. And Florida State has some absolute dogs out at the wide receiver spot and big dogs as well. You're talking about a guy in Johnny Wilson who is six foot seven, two thirty five. A guy like Keon Coleman, six four, two twenty. Jaheim Bell at the tight end spot. He's six four. You have all these guys that can absolutely exploit matchups out wide. And you look at this LSU secondary. Zai Alexander is one of my keys. He's only a junior and he's a transfer. Guys like Denver Harris. He's a sophomore. He's a transfer. Guys like West Weeks. He's a transfer. All of these guys, and I just named a few, in that LSU secondary, they don't have the most experience. They don't have the pedigree guarding those big time, uh, big time targets like Johnny Wilson out wide. So to me, if I'm this Florida State offense, I'm looking vertical, power run, little West Coast action here. I'm looking for an absolutely stellar game from Jordan Travis as he, we've grown accustomed to him playing and him putting his receivers, his big receivers, in a position to make plays. So this is the part where I'm supposed to give a prediction on the game, but if you are a seasoned listener of the show, you know we save all those till the end where we make all our picks against the spread and we narrow down on our bets of the week. Until then, we're going to talk about a much more pressing game because it happens tonight, the day this podcast releases. That's right, 8 o'clock Thursday, ESPN. You're going to get Florida at number 14, Utah. Right now, Vegas has the Utes as four-point favorites, although it was about seven and a half, eight points earlier today. Obviously, we now know the news about Cameron rising, and the over-under has subsequently dropped to 43 and a half as well. So, for those of you who don't know, Cameron Rising will not be playing in this one. He played last year. They lost 29-26 to Florida at the Swamp. 
This obviously being the return game in that home and home, but we're going to get junior Bryson Barnes in this one who doesn't have the most experience under his belt. Obviously, rising has been the guy at Utah for quite a long time now, past couple of years. But this kid, Bryson Barnes, he's an in-state kid, as I mentioned, a junior, and he's got two real games in his career where he's played any sort of significant snaps. When Rising went down with the knee injury in the Rose Bowl that is obviously forcing him to miss this game, Bryson Barnes steps in against Penn State, completes 53% of his passes in a situation where he was trailing by multiple scores pretty much the entire time, 112 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. And then he also played on the 27th against Washington State, where he played obviously much more. 63% of his passes were completed. 175 yards, a touchdown, and no interception. So obviously, we don't know what this kid Bryson Barnes is going to bring. But what we do know is that Utah and this Kyle Whittingham team is consistency personified. They're a team, if any team in the country is built to play without a starting quarterback, it's certainly the Utah Utes. You look at their rushing stats, five and a half yards per carry last year, that's good for seventh in the country. 40 carries per game, top 30 in the country. About half their total yards, 47%, were rush yards. That's 29th in the country. This is an offensive line that's built a lot like an SEC offensive line. They're built for battles. They're built to pound the rock. And they've got two equally capable backs in Micah Bernard and Jaquindon Jackson that are going to be able to share the load, split the carries. So am I obviously concerned with Utah's ability to beat Florida without Cameron Rising? Yeah, absolutely, especially when we don't know what Brent Kithy's doing. There's been absolutely no word to this point that I've heard on him. But I am not concerned with Utah's strength, which is their front seven or their offensive front, their rushing game, and their front seven on defense, now that I mention it, also isn't that bad as well. So I think Utah's going to be just fine. I don't know if I'd necessarily touch that over-under at 43.5, but you look at those new clock rules too, Utah's going to be able to eat possession Nine minutes off the clock at a time, 10 minutes off the clock at a time. And this is a Florida team that, when you look at their numbers, hasn't historically been able to stop the run really well. Granted, that's in the SEC, and the sample is probably a bit different given they're going up against guys like Rocket Sanders, Quinshawn Judkins, the Alabama's backfield trio. So obviously, and Georgia's backfield trio, too, now that I mention it. So obviously, those numbers are a bit skewed, but history suggests, and the numbers suggest, that Utah's going to be just fine tonight. On the Florida side, too, there's still quite a bit of uncertainty at the quarterback position. Obviously, they're going to get their first look at Wisconsin transfer Graham Mertz, who in his career with the Badgers, obviously not a school known for producing high level quarterbacks, completed 59 percent of his passes, 5,400 yards through the air. But here's where things get a bit concerning. 38 touchdowns, 26 interceptions against the Utah defense. That is known to be an elite group of playmakers, you know. They're going to be, they've got some ball hawks in that secondary. Perhaps the secondary is one of the strongest aspects of this team, and that does not couple well with Florida's inexperience at the quarterback position, inexperience at the wide receiver spots. So I think if Utah is going to win this game, and even win this game convincingly, there's going to be a lot of leaning on that secondary. I mean, you look at some of the big names in that unit. You've got guys like Cole Bishop at safety. You've got, you've got guys like Tao Johnson. At Nickelback, you've got guys like Lander Barton at that stud linebacker spot. He all over the field, that guy. He can play linebacker. He can play Viper. He can play safety. You've got guys like Travis Broughton at the corner spot too. Sion Vaki at safety. 
There are so many big names in the secondary that are going to be able to make plays. And this is not the ideal matchup for Graham Mertz in his first start. So I don't necessarily know if Utah is going to be in as much trouble as people are suggesting, but obviously we'll know in just a bit of time. So now we get to talk about the game that everybody and their mother wants to talk about. That's prime time. Colorado at number 17 TCU. That's the big noon kickoff game Saturday on Fox. The Horned Frogs, 21 point favorites at the moment of me recording this. That definitely could change in the next two days, as well as the over under, which is at 63 and a half. And this is such an intriguing game because obviously nobody knows what Colorado is going to look like. 53 incoming transfers, projected 18 new starters, new quarterback. New weapons, new line, new defense, new coach, new coaches, I should say, new everything. So I don't think last year's result, which was obviously 38-13 to TCU in Colorado, is going to mean all that much in this one. I was debating even bringing it up because nobody knows what this Colorado team is going to look like. And that's where the hype for this game comes from. Last year, Colorado 1-11, 1-8 in the Pac-12. TCU 13-2. Appearance in the national championship game. Their only two losses were in championship games. So it's all there. Like these two teams are right at opposite ends of the Richter scale. This is the perfect opening game to a season. So let's try to break break things down the best we can, even though I don't know how we're going to do that. You look at Colorado, obviously with all this upheaval on their team, I think the only place you can start when trying to make sense of what they've got going on there is at the most important position on the field, which is quarterback. They've got Shador Sanders, who has obviously never played sophisticated division one football before. And Colorado's a team that completed just 49% of their uh, passes last season. So I think whatever he gives you is going to be an upgrade no matter what, but it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this offense operates. And don't forget TCU is bringing back a lot of talent from last season's defense that obviously won 13 games and made the national championship game. I think one of the more intriguing things for Colorado is you're going to see how they use Travis Hunter on offense if they use him at all. But right now he's listed as the wide receiver X on their depth chart. You've got young guys, new guys like Xavier Weaver, who's a junior. He's a transfer guys like Jimmy Horn Jr. Again, he's a transfer at running back. It's supposed to be. Alton McCaskill, the fourth, again, redshirt sophomore, he's a transfer. All five starters on this offensive line, transfers. So nobody knows what they're getting. And then you look at the defense, there's a lot of youngsters on this defense. Travis Hunter from Jackson State, freshman Cormani McLean, two five-star corners, but guess what? Two corners that are very new and we've never seen play, again, real Division I football at the collegiate level yet. So it's going to be very interesting to see how TCU attacks them. They've obviously got tons of weapons on offense. They've got Chandler Morris at quarterback, who people forget beat out Max Duggan for the job last year. So, you know, he is going to be a very solid option at quarterback. I don't know if he's going to be what Max Duggan was last year, but he's certainly going to be solid. Guys like Sabian Williams coming out of the backfield and catching the ball. That guy is basically a carbon copy of Quentin Johnston at receiver. 6'5", 220, can go up and get it. You've got good tight ends like Jared Wiley coming in. Rest assured, this TCU offense is not going to have any problems at all. And I also want to mention this defense is going to be new and they could perhaps take a step back from last year. But I still think there's a lot of names and a lot of 
top tier talent that they accrued from last year's success to look forward to. Guys like Dominic Williams at the nose tackle. He's only a sophomore. Guys like Paul Oyewale coming off the edge. Guys like linebacker Jamoy Hodge. He's been there, though. He's going to be the leader of this unit. There is still a significant amount of star power on this TCU defense. I don't know if they're quite going to contend to the level that they did last year, but they have the talent to seriously make some noise in this Big 12. So how can Colorado win this football game? How can they pull off the impossible? And to be honest, it's not even something talent-related. The most important thing to me, this is just paramount, is getting off the field on third down. This is a defense that spent 40 minutes per game on the field last year and a Colorado offense that went 32% on third down. That defense has to be able to get off the field. You've got to be able to sustain drives. Even if you're not scoring, you've got to be able to sustain drives. And then you look at the statistics. First quarter scoring from last year, opponents outscored Colorado 119 to 19 in the first quarter. So again, if I'm Colorado, long drives, keep that defense off the field, keep the game close early on, get into a position where you're not, you know, you're dragging TCU into deep water and you've got a chance to make that game competitive and maybe even win it. I think if this Colorado team is going to have any success, it's going to be earlier on in the season. I think they're going to tail off a lot as the season carries on. I don't think they necessarily have the depth to weather those deep waters, play a 13 game season and stay in that midseason form all year long. They've got a lot of youngsters on this team that haven't played that grind of a full season yet. So I think if you're going to see any success from this team at all, it's going to be immediate, if not very, very early in the season. So that's my take on Colorado. We've got about three or four games I want to touch on really quickly, and then we'll get to our bets of the week. But those are the main ones. So another game I'm really, really looking at and liking this week is number 21, North Carolina against South Carolina in Charlotte, Bank of America Stadium, neutral site. That's ABC's Saturday night football game. UNC, a two and a half point favorite, the over under set comfortably at 63. And I was very surprised that South Carolina was not in the preseason top 25. These are two teams. I had North Carolina at 18 in my poll and South Carolina at 19 in my poll. I think these teams are very, very similar. You look at the blueprint for both of these squads. UNC, fantastic quarterback play, great wide receiver group, solid offensive line, defense, secondary, non-existent. South Carolina, great quarterback in Spencer Rattler. Great receiving options out there with guys like Trey Knox. Defense, secondary, non-existent. Now, granted, South Carolina's offensive line is a bit worse for wear compared to North Carolina, which is why I rank them a spot behind them. But these two teams are so, so similar. And I think this game could really end up being one of the shootouts of the week, especially or up there with games like UTSA at Houston, which, by the way, I absolutely love that game and Boise State at Washington. But you look at this North Carolina-South Carolina game, and these two teams are just a mirror. And I think it's going to serve as a nice measuring stick to see what team has improved on their weaknesses the most over the offseason. Obviously, North Carolina had an overhaul of guys coming in through the transfer portal on defense. They're going to be much more experienced on the defensive side compared to last year, especially in the secondary. A lot of guys with another year or two under their belt. South Carolina, they've worked really hard on that defensive front. They've got guys like Tonka Hemingway over there on defense. So I think uh, Jordan Strachan was another guy I was blanking on there, but I just remember the name. I think this game is going to tell us really, really well which of these two teams 
has done a better job attacking their weaknesses, mitigating what they've been worse at historically. And I think that's why I just love this matchup week one. Love that it's on a neutral field. Love that we're getting an in-state rivalry and love that it's in prime time. Spencer Rattler and Antoine Wells versus Drake May and hopefully Tez Walker, depending on the waiver situation, is going to be must-see TV. I cannot wait for that game. Speaking of games that I cannot wait for, I alluded to it. It's UTSA at Houston. Houston's first game as a member of the Big 12. UTSA's first game as a member of the American. Frank Harris is back. Houston is absolutely loaded on offense. UTSA is a point and a half favorites right now. The over-under is 66, and that's another primetime game on Saturday on FS1. That's one that you're not going to want to miss at all. Another game I like that we're on shootout watch for is Boise State at number 10, Washington. You're going to get your first look at the Washington offense that is supposed to be one of the best of the country this year with Michael Penix, Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, and obviously Kalen DeBoer calling the shots. Washington's another one of those teams like uh, LSU and Florida State that we talked about at the top of the show that is going to be really expected to take that step up. They've ridden that offseason hype train just as hard as Florida State and LSU have. They've ridden it all the way to a number 10 ranking, and they're going to have to show us that they can win in a brutal Pac-12 and this week one game against a very sound offense in Boise State, a great opportunity to do that. Last game we're going to talk about before we get into our picks of the week. West Virginia at number seven, Penn State, 730 Saturday, NBC. The first time we're getting college football on NBC in quite a long time. Penn State, 21 point favorites, the over under 54 and a half. I think Penn State absolutely wipes the floor with West Virginia. I think this game's over by the second quarter. Everything that Neil Brown and West Virginia are weak at offensive line, pass catching Penn State is good at pass rushing and corners. I think they are going to shut down the Mountaineers, but my three games to watch this week are definitely North Carolina, South Carolina, TCU, Colorado on Saturday, and then obviously LSU, Florida State on Sunday game of the week can't miss. So with all that being said, with all the analysis out of the way, it is picks of the week time bets of the week. All right, we're starting at the top. LSU, Florida State again, two and a half point favorites are the Tigers over under 56 and a half. I'm going to roll with the LSU Tigers for all the reasons we talked about earlier. I think their strengths uh, play really well to what Florida State is going to try to do on defense and vice versa. I think what Florida State is going to do on offense plays really well to LSU's weaknesses. So this one was a really tough one to pick. Just two teams that are almost a perfect matchup for each other in terms of strengths and weaknesses. But I think LSU's got a little more star power, and I think talent wins out more times than not early in the season. So I like them with the two and a half points. The over under 56 and a half, I wouldn't touch only because you don't know what you're going to get out of these offenses. But I like LSU two and a half to win that one. Next up, Florida at Utah tonight. Taking Utah minus four, and I have to take the over 43 and a half. Again, two teams with new quarterbacks, but I, I just can't bet that under. I can't that that that's an NFL over under. I, I can't even with, you know, Bryson Barnes and Graham Mertz playing quarterback, probably one of the most appalling quarterback matchups that we're going to see all year in a power five game. I cannot fathom going under 43 and a half points in a college football game. I think the running clock is going to play a big factor if that game does go under, but I, I wouldn't touch it. But if you put a gun to my head, I'm taking the over. Now let's move to Colorado at TCU. 
TCU 21 point favorites over under 63 and a half. As we look at things now, I wouldn't touch that spread. I, I, I really would not touch that spread. I'm only because of all the reasons I'm struggling to come up with reasons to not touch it, but I'm, I'm going to stay with the, the, the way I, I spoke earlier and saying, we have no idea what this Colorado team's going to look like. You have no idea if they're going to be better or worse or anything in between from last year. You have no idea what kind of offense they're running. You have no idea what kind of defense they're running. They, you have no idea what their strengths, weaknesses are. You have no idea how TCU is going to game plan for them. So I just don't know how you bet that game. And it's one of the most bet games of the week, but I, I can't touch it. So now we're going to move on to some games I actually could touch because I know I sound like a broken record saying I wouldn't touch games. Let's move into Boise State at Washington. Huskies 14 point favorites over under 58 and 5, 58.5, excuse me. Give me Washington and give me the over. I think this game's going over no matter what. I can't see a world where one of these teams does not put up 40 points, 45 points. UTSA at Houston, probably going the same way, even though that over under 65. I'm taking the Roadrunners minus one and a half, and I'm taking the over in that one. West Virginia, Penn State, this one's pretty self explanatory. Give me Penn State and the under. Penn State minus 21. Under 54 and a half. North Carolina, South Carolina. If you, if you made it up to me, this one would be a pick em. And I don't necessarily know how to attack this game. I'm going to give the slight edge to North Carolina just because they are more experienced. They are more talented than South Carolina on paper. So give me the Tar Heels minus two and a half. And I do think things are going to go over that 62 and a half. So that does it. Week one preview through and through in just under 30 minutes. I think we got things done in a very timely manner. And in the same sentence, I think we also got some very good analysis over to you at home. Remember, folks, we drop new episodes every single Friday. You can follow us on Instagram at student section CFB. Just kidding. It's at the CFB section. Now we changed our at on Twitter at the CFB section as well. Same tag. Subscribe to the show. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify all your favorite platforms. Download the show. Share it with your friends if you enjoyed it. Let us know on Instagram and Twitter. And remember, folks, whether you're on the couch or in the bleachers this week, enjoy the games and take care.